Hi, this is Real Quacks. I'm Ivy. And this is my guest. This is her guest, Dusty. <laughs> Who lives in my house. Her guest on her podcast and guest in her life. <laughs> I'm glad the dog has stopped licking himself. That was really loud. And um, we were we had to erase a couple uh, attempts at beginning because of how loud it was. Was he was, anyways, he was very enthusiastic. Yes, and you um, can blame him. So, what was what was I gonna start with? Oh, yeah, um, we're gonna go into the personality types of the different characters in Parks and Recreation. Um, but I wanted to say that if you don't know what the Enneagram is, I have a bonus episode on that and Myers Briggs as well. So if these are new concepts for you, go check out the bonus episodes and that might be helpful. Otherwise, let's begin. So, so what are your feelings about this show in general? Like what what do you why do you did you enjoy it? Um why did I enjoy it? <clears throat> I think like many people when I first started watching it, I was unfairly comparing it to The Office. Yes. It Me was, too. yeah, it was definitely a spiritual successor to The Office. The, it had the same showrunner as the American version of The Office. If listeners don't know, The Office was a remake of a British miniseries. Um, I think improved. They're very, very, very debatable. They're very different shows. People go one way or the other, but they're totally different shows. Um, but Ricky Gervais, who created the original Office, I believe he said that he felt the U.S. version surpassed his original one. I would agree. Yeah. Anyway, Parks and Rec, a lot of people thought it was a similar show because it is similar in style. It's a mockumentary. But it takes the mockumentary a lot less seriously, and the characters are less um, humanized. You think it takes it less seriously? Yeah. It does, because throughout the office, you're constantly reminded there's a camera crew there. You know, They have different scenes where... Where Jim is ducking down in the car and he's pushing the cameraman to get down so nobody sees him. Or they directly look at the cameraman or the producer or the audience and they ask him certain questions. Parks and Rec does that in the very beginning, but they don't take it quite as seriously. They sort of eschew it towards the end of the show. And also the, the difference is too, the Parks and Rec characters are more like archetypes that solidify throughout the course of the show. They're meant to grow. The way they end the show is different from how they start it. You think that was their intention from the get-go or just ended up being no, what it, happened? No, it wasn't. The writers have said that was not their intention from the get-go. But about in the second or third season, it just sort of clicked. The show was basically about these people who are completely different and how they grow and they come to love and respect each other. It's supposed to be about like the basic... Except if you're Gary, Jerry. Right. It, it's supposed to be about like the basic decency of, of human beings. Okay. I I enjoyed it a lot. I had a lot there was I had a lot of good laughs and there's some characters that will I will never forget. <laughs> um I can't say I rated above the office, but why do we have to rate things above each other at all anyways? It's just different. <clears throat> That's right. Yes. I agree with you. I'm glad that you no longer rate me. Well, maybe I you didn't do say that privately. Um anyway, Let's talk about the psychology of these characters. Okay. All right. Um, I guess the most obvious place to start is Leslie. Yep. Um, I've often seen her typed as an ISTJ, which I couldn't agree with. I couldn't disagree with more. 
How about you? I'll take I know, your word for it. No, I know you aren't as into this stuff as I am, not nearly, but you have had experiences with IST boss. Can I say that? Oh, yeah. Um, that is true. And he is, is not like Leslie at all. No. <laughs> um, He's a really good guy. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But, but um, there's nothing like this fictional character. <laughs> no. Oh, and that was one of the things I should mention that this is my inter my, my uh, opinion is that because there are so many different writers and people come and go on the writing staff, I feel that some of the characters aren't as consistent. But as you said, you view them as caricatures. Right? No. Not Ar caricatures. Archetypes. Archetypes. Okay. Well, for me, even the archetypes, there's duality. I mean, contradictions in these characters. I guess I feel like they're fun characters, a lot of them, but sometimes it's so many different things in one person that to me in real life can't exist. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I'll, I'll get into that a little later, I guess. Well, I think that people in general have contradictions within within themselves, but we're the, but those contradictions are not necessarily always apparent to other people from the outside. I don't mean that people can't have contradictions. What I mean is that you sometimes like we have strengths, and 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 in hand in hand with that, we're going to have weaknesses. But sometimes some characters are made with so many strengths that it's in real unrealistic. Or maybe their strengths become weaknesses. Mm, I guess. Okay. I don't know. It's getting weird now because I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. Okay. So, Leslie, why do you? What do you feel she is typed as, and why? Okay. Well, I personally think if I had to type her myself, which I have, um, th again, I am no expert. I view her as an ENFJ, sometimes as a sensor ESFJ. Um, she kind of, she has, she definitely to me leads with, um, the function, which is nicknamed harmony, which is extroverted feeling. Um, she cares very much about being a team and that's like a big, big thing for her is to be like, she wants her, how her, her office life, her office crew to be her family. And she makes it a huge deal to remember birthdays and anniversaries and all these type of things and goes above and beyond and almost makes people, well, often does make people uncomfortable with how much she's thought about their, you know, their birthdays or whatever it is, like important occasions. Oh, this is our, this is our, you know, anniversary of our friendship and all this. And you're like, oh man, I didn't even know this was a day we met, you know? Right. Which is very extroverted feeler of her. But then, see, the thing that makes it kind of like, mm, it's sometimes she's just so organized. And I don't know as, I don't know a ton of people who lead with that who are intensely organized, but it, for sure they exist. Well, I don't know if this fits into it, but part of Leslie's driving force is her excessive need for control. She's had this desired um, world and universe and life in her head since she was a very young child. And ever since she was a young child, she does everything possible to force everything into that mold. She's, she does it, she's motivated completely by, by, by love and affection, which is why nobody can get mad at her about it. But it is a, a desire to control everything and fit people into certain roles, and that's when it becomes abrasive, which is when these people in her lives have to stop her and tell her, look, you're being excessive. That's not who I am. You need to respect you know, my boundaries and, and, and my personal growth. 
And I guess, see, now there's the crux of her for me is that the drivenness that she has, to me, um, it just comes across as something called an extroverted thinker, which is, would be like an ENTJ or an ESTJ where they're so driven. But, you know, this just shows my maybe my lack of knowledge, but extroverted feelers just don't seem as driven. They often can get derailed by wanting to make everybody else happy. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So in her life course, I mean, especially having a mom like she does, um, it seems a little surprising to me that somebody who is as driven to please others as she is, is also so intensely driven about her own wants. Mm -hmm. And that could mean that she's healthy because she includes herself in the needs of others. Yeah. She does. um, She is very perceptive about that for example with ron's birthday every year the amount of detail that she puts into it that he pretends not to like is like astonishing um you think he pretended not to like it at the beginning or he, i think he genuinely didn't like it and he, i can he kind of maybe came to accept that that's how she was there was that one episode where he was insisting that she not do anything for his birthday and he was the entire day looking around and, and trying to figure out how she was going to surprise him with a birthday gift. And then at the end, all she did was play the bridge on the river Kwai and buy him a bottle of scotch and a steak and leave him alone for the night. Yeah, and so that to me really shows how she is driven from extroverted feeling because she genuinely cares that he doesn't want a big, big fuss. And mm-hmm. so she gives him exactly what he wants. And that's like what a healthy extroverted feeler does. Yeah. But she can get out of balance. Yeah, for sure. She can get a little manic. Yeah, when she gets upset, it seems to be because she feels that she's not being appreciated. That people aren't... (laughs) It's just like, I'm like, oh my goodness. I did all of this for you. And it's like, nobody asked you to. (laughs) Right, and and they'll tell her, nobody asked you to. And she's like, I know nobody asked me to. That's the point. I do things because nobody asked me to because I care about you. Okay, no, so this reminds me of the... like going to the Enneagram, I think she's she's really skirts the line between one and two. Mm-hmm. And because ones are very ethical and moral, you know, that's what Leslie cares about, what's right. Even if she has to break rules, if it's not, if it's, she has very strong ethics. Yeah. And she wants to stick by the rules, but she will push for new rules if she feels that some, something is not being handled correctly. That's true. Like, she'll rarely break the rules. She'll just make a new rule that allows yeah. her to do what she wants. Yeah. And uh, she has strong feelings about how, like, the park land should be used. And, and she has very strong, um, what are the words, convictions. But she also has a lot of two in her. And twos are the givers and all that. Mm-hmm. And they can be very, they get very hurt if they are not, they don't feel like a relationship is reciprocal. Right. Or if they, like you said, that I know, like I'm not being appreciated. Yeah. But I think that that's more of her side thing than her primary. Her primary is about being right. It's interesting, too, how much enthusiasm she has for working within the system. Like, it's clear from the very beginning that if she didn't happen to be the assistant director of the parks department, that whole place would have fallen apart because Ron is completely apathetic. But it's her energy and vitality that drags everybody else along through her her sheer force of will. You kind of see this with the people that she admires. She does admire certain politicians, but who she really admires is like the bureaucrats and all the appointed officials. You know, like that guy who's the bad boy of the parks department. (laughs) 
that no one's ever heard of, but she thinks is is like is very evocative. <laughs> she's funny. That's I really do get the sense that she's more of an ESFJ than than an intuitive version. But she does have a lot of vision sometimes, and that's just you know this is a fictional character, or not so she has she's gonna have like you know some contradictions in this stuff. Okay, you have anything else to say about Leslie? That's it. I'm sure. All of these characters will pop up in cam- conversations about the other characters. Yeah, they're going to intersect. Podcast as well. Yeah, but I think we have to talk about Ron because yes. we've already alluded to him. Okay, now he he's one of my favorite characters. Um, I think that it, his 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 appearance with the mustache and all that was one of the deterrents for me actually watching this show. <laughs> Why so? I don't know. I just got like an idea that he was going to be this brooding creep. And I was just like, I don't like how he looks. I don't want to watch that show. <laughs> well, boy, were you surprised. Well, kind of. I, I ended up, you know, you end up kind of admiring him. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, he has to me, he's got like two people in one. Yeah. Because he's, oh, he's got the, um, I think if in the Myers-Briggs, he could be, both an ISTP and an ESTJ, and they're very different characters because ISTPs are much more uh, reclusive and very brainy, which he is. However, um, they also, like, their main way of existing in the world and making judgments is is whether something is... It, it's it's called introverted thinking. It's what you use primarily. It's the, it's the kind of nerd vibe. You know the nerd vibe. Yeah, let's be real. Like, I don't mean it in a disparaging way. I just mean like the the brainiac, like the sm- okay. the smart guy, right? And that's combined with the Enneagram Five, where you kind of uh, you think about thinking almost, you know. And hmm. he is a thinker, but not at just for thinking's sake. He wants to get things done. Hmm. To me, and that to me almost makes it seem more likely he's an ESTJ who's just very private and doesn't enjoy socializing at all. And then if that's the case in the Enneagram, I think he's very much an eight because he's very protective of his space. He has like a door that he can close at his will, like remotely. Like he just doesn't want anybody to know where he lives. He's definitely a self-preservation type in the Enneagram. So I say either a five or an eight or both in the tri-type. But anyways, I think mm-hmm. that he's kind of, uh, he gets, he's so much about action, but only what is important to him. Yeah. He's, he's a fascinating character. Once you learn more about his childhood, you know, like when they introduce Ron himself, Ron himself. I don't even remember his childhood in the show. I do. It, it, it comes out when, um, Tammy one appears on the scene. And his mom appears as well. And you find out that he was sort of raised in the, like in the country and, you know, very isolationist family. That's why he's so good at doing so many things with his hands and, you know, so many practical um, habits. Why he's so secretive, why he's so distrustful of the government and how that morphed into libertarianism and how he has lots of money. (laughs) 
has he lots hides of ba- bars he, of gold. He has bars of gold hidden all over. Because he doesn't trust the banking system. <laughs> the banking system, exactly. And so he and with Tammy, when Tammy one comes around, you learn that she used to be his babysitter, and basically she. Mani- I think she's two. Isn't she Tammy two? No, no. Tammy one was his babysitter, and she manipulated oh, that's right, him that's right. to marry him because she wanted to find out where all the gold was. <laughs> But you see how she brainwashed him because he reverts to a boy-like state and um, it infers that he was a very naive, very naive young man, very boyish young man because he had never... Very innocent because he had never experienced the world at large and Tammy One took advantage of that. When he broke off with her, he had this, um, almost like this bitterness, this resentment. So he went to the other extreme and he married Tammy Two, who was the opposite of Tammy One, a very worldly very um, experienced wild woman and then which we'll get (laughs) into later (laughs) and got burned by that as well so now because he's been hurt um at his most vulnerable place by two different women he's extremely private he withdraws into himself and his uh facade of like you know classical manliness may be like a shield to protect himself from the world you think it's a facade? Because I think it's genuine. Like he wa- no, he would just go genuine. build like a log cabin. Like he doesn't have to pretend. It, no, no, it is genuine. It's not. That's uh, facade is the wrong word. It is genuine. I think it was originally erected as a protective mechanism, and eventually no he, pun intended. He, and eventually he grew into it. Okay. Well, and you see how he extends it too towards the people that he loves. Like he's extremely protective of April. He has like a father-like relationship with her. Well, I think he recognizes that they have a, something in common, you know? Yeah. That there's like a disdain for humanity. <laughs> right. But you don't see exactly how much... They they show throughout the show how much she means to him. But the clincher is, is towards the end of the show when Leslie recruits her for her federal department. And Ron reveals like that was... The big emotional wound that was a straw that broke the camel's back mm, i've forgotten about that um okay well do you think he's more of like the introverted hi- hiding type or the extroverted um controlling dominant type or is he just an amalgamation of those two types i think he's more introverted i think he can be extroverted when he when is necessary well, don't he- forget no extrovert doesn't necessarily include people in it at all it means the outside world and that includes also just getting things done. It doesn't need to include humans. I think he gets things done simply so that he can have increased privacy, solitude, and autonomy. Mm. So he has a mean, it's a means to an end. Yeah. <clears throat> but at the, Okay, well, I think we've touched on him enough. Again, we're not going to ever like hit the nail on the head with any of this because it's, you know, they're composite people. Um, okay, let's talk about Ben, your... Mm-hmm. Your twin soul. Yes. Throughout the course of the show, you constantly refer to him as my twin or my buddy. Well, there are times where you were deeply touched by him because of a fellow feeling. I'm not going to go into detail, but I think the Treat Yourself episode where he got himself the Batman or he put on the Batman costume. Yes, that whole episode did strike a chord with me. Especially when they invite him to come with them because he's eating soup by himself alone at lunch <laughs> on the bench. Which he was fine with. Which he was totally fine with. Yeah, Donna and Tom thought it was the saddest thing he had ever seen. He didn't understand what was wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Um, but okay, so as in the Myers Briggs, I would type him as an INTP. Do you think that is close? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Why? Why do you feel that he's an INTP like you? I think that he is out of everyone is the character I most understood. Mm-hmm. Like everything that he did made complete made complete sense to me. <laughs> um, you think he's also a five in the Enneagram? Yes, he's very brainy. He's by far the most intelligent. Like, um, the eight well, fives no, aren't necessarily <laughs> I mean, just kidding. They no, are no, the I mean, thinkers. The type of intelligence, they're all, every character is intelligent in their own, in different ways. He's the one who's most, I guess you could say, like classically, analytically intelligent. He's, he's knowledgeable. Yeah. And that, that, that's the introverted thinker. You can see that, like the data logic, like this is what makes sense. That's, that's, that's his primary way of making decisions, whether something is logical or not, you know? Yeah. And he, I think he's a five in the Enneagram also, but like with a very strong six wing, okay. um, which has a little, where you can see a little more of the anxiety in him. Yes. Yeah. Cause the six is the most anxious, nervous type. Yeah. And he's carried that around with him. Or fearful, I should say, not necessarily nervous. Yeah. He is his, his until he arrives at Pawnee, his life has been sort of motivated by anxiety and shame. Because remember, he he had that huge fa- failure. Yeah, he entered the election as a eighteen-year-old as a joke, and ended up accidentally. Was a joke? I believe so. Yeah, I don't think so. I think he was very like smart enough to do that. I don't think he intended to win, and then he ended up surprisingly becoming elected mayor, and then Ice Town bankrupted the entire town by <laughs> pouring all their money into a giant ice rink <laughs> that failed um but because of the shame from that it compelled him for the rest of his life to try and prove himself you know to to the rest of the world that he and was himself. and to himself that he was capable and intelligent you know like chris infers that he doesn't really have much of a social life he's very dedicated to when, when we first meet him, he seems he's portrayed almost like a villain. You know, he goes in, he cuts the budgets of all these towns and cities. But the way he views it is that he's saving them. He's figuring out. He looks at each city. He figures out how they tick. He cuts out what's necessary. He saves what is necessary. He views it as performing surgery to save these different cities. And it's like a personal form of, of vindication. But, you know, it's a type of work that makes him very unpopular because... Um, which doesn't even really matter to him. It doesn't. It doesn't matter to him. But it's not enjoyable, right? Because I believe there is an episode where he talks to Leslie about that. You know, where he's like, "I, I'm, I'm not hurting people. I'm trying to hurt people. I'm trying to help people. I'm trying to help you keep your jobs, keep your city. I'm trying to keep the feds from taking over. You know, control of your of your towns <coughs> and cities. Um, and that's kind of the interesting balance that him and Leslie bring to each other you know Leslie helps him to become less restrained more autonomous care less I guess about not not restrict himself to this role that he's confined himself in since adolescence and then he helps her become slightly less you know erratic not erratic but um sprawling Mm -hmm. you know they bring balance to each other in that way yeah although she has I don't know anyway um, and that's ultimately manifest. You see the way his mind works in that episode, which I love, where he's unemployed <laughs> for a month. <laughs> and in that span of time, he learns how to make calzones. 
<laughs> he makes stop motion animation. And the Enneagram aspect to this is that he's a five who's getting in touch with his like four side, the yeah. artistic side. And then he yeah. creates the, what is it called? The Cones of Dunshire. Oh, yeah. That was what sealed the INTP thing for me, for sure. Yes, I remember you telling <clears throat> me that's something that you would do. And it's true. <laughs> I um, probably would. I know, I know you would. Um, that, I was going to say it. that even that whole Ice Town thing to me fits in exactly with like his Myers-Briggs type because his secondary function is the extroverted intuition, which is like ideas, like wow, and visions and what ifs. And it was an immature use of that, you know, like and he was just taking on this new sword of like these, you know, what ifs kind mm -hmm. of thing. But it was a, you know, they're not all going to succeed. But anyways, it's interesting too, <clears> like his... He does have this sort of everybody else will get ro roiled up in um, emotionally in some situation that's happening. He's usually like the straight man. <laughs> but you also see that in the relationship with Jerry. You know, he doesn't he doesn't buy into the, you know, we had to scapegoat Jerry so we can make ourselves feel better for whatever reason. At one point, he even he has that day with Jerry where Leslie can't do all the anniversary things. So they get the couple's massage oh, yeah. and the carriage <laughs> ride. And then he announces at the end of the day that Jerry is his friend. Yeah. Even though Leslie's telling him to get down and not say that. Well, I think that that comes down to just his ability to reason. <laughs> like, what is that's what I really liked about him. And that's what I also admire about you is that sometimes like. Like, people get caught up in this, like, mass hysteria. Like, little Sebastian's a perfect example. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That was, that was Leslie's... What was it again? It was, like, uh, the series of clues she left for their anniversary. And he's like, I knew we would come here to where you first introduced me to little Sebastian. She's like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, this... I didn't understand... You know why he was so special, but you helped me understand why. And then when she embraces him, he looks at the camera like, I have no idea <laughs> what's so special. I just, about well, like he says that so many times, like when everybody's crying because he's died, and he just looks at the camera like, What <laughs> is the deal with this little horse? <laughs> and everybody, it kind of reminds me of you though, because it's like, it's like. Anyways, you know I'm an animal nut. Yeah. And, like, I remember when I met you and you're like, animals are cool, but, you know, they're not my, like, greatest passion. And I was like, God, you're so cold. You know, and that's how everybody was with him about little Sebastian. Like, how could you not love him? What's wrong with you? And he's just like, I don't get the, the I don't understand. Yes, I remember coming home from work when we had just gotten <clears throat> married and you said, look. And he had saved an entire folder on our computer desktop full of pictures of dogs. That, that you, I wanted to rescue. You, yes, that you wanted me to look at. Like, isn't this one amazing? You're just like, it's a dog. <laughs> <laughs> okay, All right. let's move on. Let's move on to April. Mm -hmm. April is a bit of an enigma because to me, she kind of bridges the gaps between several personality types again. Mm -hmm. um, I would, after thinking about it... Even though I have many other things I should be thinking about in my life, um, this is what I was focused on. Uh, you know, um, April, I think it's an ISFP or an INFP okay. or an ISTP. I see. <laughs> she's often uh, typed as an INTJ, but she's not the mastermind to me. She's more 
of the artist temperament. Right. Um, I think she's an ISFP because even though, see, sometimes people think, oh, no, she can't be a feeler. She's a thinker because she's so cold. But introverted feelers can come across that way sometimes because they're so focused on their own morals, principles, feelings, and all that, that they don't really necessarily always consider that of other people. It's not their concern. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's how she feels about a situation. And I feel like there has to be something weird with her family. It can't just be what it looks like on the outside in the show. <laughs> I mean, I guess it could. She's definitely a four in the Enneagram. And they often feel like they were like dropped in on their family. Like they don't belong. They're this like weirdo in their family. Yeah. Her sister's kind of like that too. Yeah. But see, now that's weird. Now there had to be some type of secret trauma. Or Except that her sister's like more malicious than she is. I can't remember her sister. I remember her sister being in the show, but I don't remember like her personality. Like when I think it's Ben has to pick her up from school and she calls the police because she says she's being kidnapped. Oh, geez. So the, all I got to say is that parents did something. Yeah. Because April, like, or, you know, hey, she could just be that way. But but that happens, too, sometimes where people's families are a little bit too normal and they have a very different personality and they almost try and create drama. You know, they'll they'll suddenly become the goth kid or or the punk kid or what. Have That's you. true. That's true. You know, and, and April's very much obsessed with like the macabre and and um, and making people feel uncomfortable. Yeah. So I think she's a one on one or sexual four. And she has a very strong connection to five because she's very analytical and very uh, much about knowledge. Yeah. Anyways. Um, and and I think the reason she has that relationship with Ron is because they're both very private in their own ways, of their own vulnerable selves. Right. Because you do see in the show that that's part of her personality, but she has this secret interior vulnerability that she's trying to keep protected. The only person she really shows it to is Andy. Right, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because he's the only one that she feels safe enough to show it to because he has no subterfuge in him, really. Yeah, there's no, like, pretense with him at all. Right. Like, he has no agenda. But she's also very intelligent because you see when she does apply herself, she comes up with brilliant ideas. She can organize people very effectively. Um, Like, in, in the beginning, people wonder why it was that, you know, Leslie brought her into the department and as the show progresses you see the potential in in action that leslie saw in her in the beginning yeah it's true and you know it's kind of like her and ron both have the growth of like other people aren't necessarily revolting yeah like other people aren't necessarily going to hurt you you think that's what it is absolutely yeah especially with ron i think um because if april's family is as sweet and nice as they appear and there isn't some dark underbelly they're not showing us. Um, she already knows that innately. Yeah, I, I believe, if I remember correctly, she's referred to the fact that it wasn't so much that anyone did anything bad to her, but it, it was that she felt different and nobody really accepted that's who she really was. They felt it was something she would grow out of. They never took her seriously. My God, I can't tell you how much that is like spoken like a true four. You know, I have a brother who does that sound a little like my brother? Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyways, okay, let's move on to Tom. Unless you have anything else to add on nope. April. 
So Tom, I have to accept him as a cousin of mine or sibling, I guess, an ENFP like me. Yes, I can definitely see that. Okay, the only, like I said, the difference is is our Enneagram types because that has to do with fears and motivations, um, drives and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, He's a three, which I am not. I'm a seven. And we're a lot more like uh, optimistic and we don't care as much about what people think usually. And he cares very much about what people think and how he's perceived. Right. Um, he's he's very image conscious and success oriented. Um, what were we talking about? Like in his apartment, they they were. they. Sh- oh, when Anne and, and Leslie broke into his apartment, he has all those throws and he has chocolate dishes of little chocolates in the bathroom and they're like why does he have all this if he lives by himself (laughs) but he he also is very uh indulgent of himself he's extremely indulgent of himself yeah and he's he doesn't feel bad about it at all no he's definitely not ashamed of being yeah and that that's also very kind of somewhat enough p of him i think um He's he, what you know. There's a lot of people think he's a sensor or ESFP, but he's so much about what ifs and like he ha- he's like an idea factory, right? And some of them are better than others. Yeah. <clears throat> How many different things did he try in the show? A lot, a lot, right? Like, he didn't he have a out, club and he had a. He threw out dozens of ideas. But no, he tried to become partial owner of the snake hole. Oh yeah, and that didn't work out because someone dimed him out. Because as a as a government worker, he's not allowed to invest. Oh no, it was that he was using his state email to promote his private business. <laughs> and then he had Project Seven Twenty with John Ralphio, which was nothing. Which was, was nothing. <laughs> was- I think they were they. I think they thought they were going to be publicists, but they didn't actually represent anyone. <laughs> they didn't actually do anything. They didn't do anything except spend money that Jean Ralphio got from a car accident. Didn't you feel so horrible for Ben during that whole thing? He was just like, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you have to stop. And he hits what he thinks is a stop button. It actually plays a hip hop anthem for everyone to dance to. <laughs> I think uh, as a, as ridiculous and annoying and immature as he could be, <clears throat> whiny, his character, I, I definitely feel like he was one of my favorites. Uh, maybe because I'm, you know. Well, a lot of his personal growth came from having to accept, well, number one, learning how to focus, <laughs> being forced to focus, <laughs> and then... Um, <laughs> And, and number two was also learning to accept failure, whether in relationships or his business or with things just not turning out the way that he, he wants to and, and learning from that and learning that that's a good thing as well. A lot of his, it's interesting because w- with his um, aspirations for, for business, he doesn't really care about money so much as respect. He wants to be seen as, as a successful person. Whether or not he's making money, I mean, obviously he wants to make money, but that's that's immaterial as compared to whether or not he's receiving this um, exterior, you know, reinforcement that, that he's a worthwhile person. Yeah, and I think that that's what the growth is for also both of his types, the ENFP and three, is to get in touch with their authenticity. Yeah. 
introverted feeling, which is like for that's the growth for Myers-Briggs type and also for threes is to like the, you know, just to be true, like really who you are. And that and that ended up being his goal, his key to success for him. Yeah. Even the fact even in romance. Even his name, Tom Haverford, is not his real name. He changed his name because he knew he'd never get a job with his birth name. I'd forgot about that. Okay. We're going to take one break. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. Uh, let's move on to Andy. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Andy? Andy started out as an antagonist. He was uh, Anne's leech of a boyfriend deadbeat yeah deadbeat but they adjusted his character slightly and they made him a lot more sympathetic or he's just more i guess you can see him as childlike but what he really is is that he's just not academically smart but he's very artistically intelligent and he just doesn't have any um he doesn't have any like subterfuge. He doesn't have any deception in him, but he's also very amorphous. Like uh, Donna puts it perfectly when she says he's like a puppy or like a little dog. Like he has to be given structure and rules and order, and then like he blossoms. <laughs> you know. I guess so. I think Andy and the Myers Briggs is the ESFP. A lot of people think he's an ENFP. What do you think? I don't know the difference between the two, so I'll leave that to you. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay, so ESFPs are much more in the moment. Okay. They're much less uh, head in the clouds. Mm-hmm. Um, they are usually a lot more physical in terms of being like athletes or dancers. Mm. Um, you know, oftentimes also musicians. Yeah. ENFPs can do those things too. It's just that... He's very physical, too, though. He would play football, remember? Yeah, yeah. ENFPs, I'm sure there are football players who are ENFPs, but we probably would be a little scared. Mm. (laughs) I know that's me. I'm speaking for myself. But in the Enneagram, he and I are both sevens. He's a sexual or one-on-one seven, which is very kind of... They have, like, a very childlike um, innocence and optimism and, like, kind of a little magic realism in their thinking. yeah. That is true. One interesting thing about him is that he's very emotionally perceptive or emotionally sensitive. Like he picks up on what other people are afraid of or even when just something's wrong that nobody else is noticing. Andy's always the one that'll say, you know, like, you know, Tom, what's bothering you? Or Ron, what are you hiding? Whereas nobody else would say anything. Yeah. That's what makes me think he's an ESFP because they're like experts at reading people. In, in a way that ENFPs were kind of in our own head too much. Yeah. He's also completely unaware of uh, maybe social norms and propriety. Like he'll say things like, uh, where most other people would say, okay, well, social norms say that we don't remark on a certain thing. He'll say, oh my gosh, you both had sex with that person. That must be really <laughs> awkward yeah. that you both know what that's like. <laughs> and so when there's maybe some delicate situations you'll see they'll usually usher Andy out of the room to make sure that he doesn't you know accidentally exacerbate things with an innocent remark can you kind of see the you know how when we talked about Mrs. Doubtfire how Daniel's a seven Mm -hmm. can you kind of see how Andy has some similarities with him oh yeah for sure 
Yeah. So the sevens are very uh, childlike in some respects. We also could be very practical, like uh, Quentin Tarantino, for example, is a seven. Yeah, that's true. That makes sense. Yeah. So there's there's different. It it it, it can we can be taken as like too light, but then when you look Anthony Bourdain, another seven. There's a dark side to us. Mm. Um, well, to many of us, anyways. But Andy, I think, is a very he's a pretty healthy seven, actually. I think uh, towards the end of the show, anyway. Um, yeah, he really um, grows when he's given a very, very, very specific and simple job or role to fulfill. Like, and and then of course at the end of the show, it it ends up being that he just wants to be a father. I guess. I guess I don't. I guess okay. Give him a job; he'll do it and all that. But he blossoms when he has room to create and be and innovate. That's true too. He has to have his own spin on it he needs to have freedom too he needs to have freedom he liked his shoe shining job because he had a lot of freedom in that yeah um and he could even hang pictures of ex-girlfriends everywhere <laughs> express himself um but no he you know all eps enfps entps all the they're all focused on freedom so he definitely likes freedom you can yeah, and that's why his relationship with April goes so well because she, it's it's unconventional, but she gives him a lot of freedom and, and vice versa. Do you kind of see any parallels with us? I okay, we have kids, so it's different. But like, still, I think I feel like I give you a lot of intellectual freedom. Do you? <laughs> I feel like I do. You're five, so probably it's never enough. But I was talking about that at the Enneagram event I was at is how I thought it worked well with the five because I like a lot of freedom to explore ideas. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you give that to me. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, while I'm doing that, you have your own space. Oh, okay. Don't you think that's true? I guess so, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yes, we are very happy. Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) To Donna. To Donna. Okay, she was a bit of an enigma because mm-hmm. she comes across to me very much as an introvert. Mm-hmm. But I, again, this is the misconception about extroverts that they need to have people around, and that is just not true. Not about not that that's true for certain types, but uh, anyways, she is a go getter. Yeah, she's an I think an ENTJ in the Myers Briggs, so they're very. Uh, very much about getting things done, but also having like that vision. Mm-hmm. She's always one step ahead of people. Yeah. When people come to her for something, she was like waiting for them to come. Right. She would have a backup key. She had already saved the computer system for when Jerry would ine- inevitably delete it. <laughs> oh um, my gosh. She had a contingency plan for nearly everything. Yeah. Um, and then the Enneagram, I would consider her an eight, which is a very dominate, dominant type. They're very, um, she's always, there was one time she said something like, I'm a, the hunter and it's you season. Like she's, she's kind of like the aggressor in, in any room. Like she's very aggressive. She's very confident. Yeah. Yeah. And, and not in a way that she's, I, I would argue she's a pretty healthy eight because she doesn't step on other people's toes needlessly mm-hmm. but don't mess with her right you know what i mean she's also the only character that's not intimidated by ron right you know even leslie will back down in certain situations you but... think april's intimidated by him yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. She to is. an extent. To a do in a different way though. Maybe because, it's more respect or mutual. Yeah, because she's seeking his his approval. He's like a paternal figure to her. Mm. But Donna Donna that. kind of makes clear too that she considers like Leslie does. She considers the rest of the team to be her family as well. She refers to Ron as like her brother, you know. Does she? Man, I forget about that aspect of the show. I don't have such good memory for tiny details sometimes. But she's it's she's interesting too. Like she's um, the closest probably to. Well, at least she spends the most time with Tom. Because they are very similar in their need to be like pampered and taken care of. Not necessarily by others, though. They do it themselves. No, they do it themselves, they, yeah. right? To Treat pamper yourself. themselves. Treat yourself, exactly. That shows she has, to me, a very strong seven wing because we're very indulgent of but, ourselves. But her difference with Tom is that Tom um, is really desirous of almost like material wealth or material. Um, like ex- exterior um, demonstrations of, of worth. For her, it's very important for her to be cultured. Mm-hmm. That's true. You see that she's she has a very wide-ranging taste in different things. She's very, like, like she knows all the different types of wines, and she's, yeah, she's very cultured for mm-hmm. sure. Do you see do you see connections with her? Because I just made this connection in my head because I also typed all the Office characters for a future episode. Okay. Do you see any connections between her and Daryl? Um, it's not because they're black. <laughs> it's because I tried them as I the same. You were leading me. Back. No, no. Did you think that's what I was suggesting? No. Okay. I, I don't know what they're. Because because they they're both to me the same personality type. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, that's my take. Okay. Uh, people will disagree for sure. I guess I can see how they're similar in that they have their their space, like their corner of power. And I don't know, though, um, because she seems to me to be a lot more aggressive in general than Daryl is. But, I guess, but I, but I think Daryl is a very, I think he's also an eight, but a very healthy eight. Okay. And remember, how you're not going to see him get pissed until you're stepping on his toes and you're showing up at his house and insulting his sister. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what I'm saying though? Like, it's like, don't infringe on my territory. That's when they get aggressive. Healthy eights don't like control others. They control, they want their environment protected Yeah, and they will get aggressive to protect it if necessary. And they're, um, yeah, they're protective. I guess you see that also like reinforced in her choice of a husband, mm-hmm. you know, because she picks someone who is going to pamper her, is going to, you know. And she can take care of, too. Right, because she, that's that's the thing. He's, she takes, she's like the main breadwinner. That's what obviously. I mean, like protecting. Right, and yeah. he, he doesn't really care at all about money. He's more. He's a teacher. He's a teacher, <laughs> right. He's more invested in his mission. Yeah. And, I'm a teacher too, by the way. <laughs> and he, um, like her, he has all his different contingency plans, but they're not, they're, they're less towards, even though they're both extremely competent, it's less towards positioning himself as an authority figure and just in a way that he can be of service to somebody else. Yeah. And he's like, Which here, I wrote like- this piano piece for you to practice. Oh, I made this, uh, 
wood block for you to use. To... He's probably a healthy eight. Oops, I meant a healthy two. It was late. Yeah. And that that can and healthy eights and healthy twos they have like an arrow in common, so that they, there's a good connection there. Yeah. When she wants you know someone to drop everything and come and massage her feet and baby her, he's all about that. Okay, now here's the connection I was trying to make with her and also Daryl is is also that you notice how when they're one step ahead of everybody. Mm-hmm. Remember when Daryl was given the opportunity? I should. This is about the office. I shouldn't go into this, but just how he was given the opportunity to grow and he immediately had all this vision of what would work and it worked. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying you have to be an ENTJ to do that, but these are you know these are fictional characters, so I think. Anyways, I see a parallel there. Um, okay, let's move in. Okay, I, I don't have these in any particular order, but I have Gary or Jerry, whatever. What you mean, Barry? Barry, Gary, Jerry, poor guy. Gurgich. Gurgich, Mr. <laughs> Gurgich. The most, by far the most loyal member of the entire team to a fault. Okay, so this is how bad it was that when I had to look at the whole cast to remember that he was even in the show. Like, I made a list of everybody, and I was like, who am I forgetting? And I went online, and it was him. <laughs> and and I'm sure that the writers and the actor himself would find that hilarious. <laughs> I know. <laughs> because that is, such, that is exactly what would happen to Jerry <laughs> in the show itself. Okay. Um, okay, so let me just get the personality stuff out of the way. To me, he's obviously an ISFJ, introverted, sensor, feeler, judger, um, very giving and very much about tried and true and just like a good dude okay um and then a nine so the peacemaker and the enneagram and so they have a hard time sometimes with boundaries um uh, with identity sometimes when they're when they're not as you know developed where people i mean he doesn't even care what people call him that's a prime example of like a a a nine who just hasn't got you know grown into their own space Mm -hmm. um and people take them for granted that they're just always going to be there to make things better for everyone else. Right. Um, but I don't know. Have you ever seen any side of him that is even mildly resentful? No. Sometimes he'll say, oh, I don't really like that. And that'll be the extent of it. <laughs> he'll just remark on how something makes him feel, but he'll go through with it anyway. Yeah, does like we talked about before? Does he remind you any little tiny bit of my mother? <laughs> yes, <laughs> she's also nice of Jane and nine. He's it's interesting too. Like his um, his life at home is compared to the life at the office. Oh, yeah. At the office, he's like the brunt of you know of everyone's jokes. He's like the bumbling, you know, good natured buffoon who accidentally screws everything up. <laughs> um, gets hurt, destroys the farts. office files, farts, yeah, constantly. I I didn't. That was one of the things about the show that I kind of didn't get. But I guess it's just a shtick. Is just like, what is their deal with him? The writers said that um, they all had an experience working in offices before, where there was this guy. There's always a man or a woman who's really, really nice, but. They're Everybody just takes so, it granted. They're just so like obliv- obliviously like buffoonish that they're just asking for it, and you're just trying to be kind and not say anything. But at a certain point, you're like, "Oh my god, what is up with this guy? 
What's his problem? But that's only when he's at the office, when he's at home. He's got this hot wife. He has an amazingly hot wife. And Ben is convinced that she was... She's like the second hottest woman I've ever seen after you. (laughs) Um, Thanks. You're so nice. You know, he has beautiful daughters. He's clearly like the... You know, the, the... he has them all in his thrall. They think he's really charming and amazing. He's always dropping and breaking things at the office. But when Leslie goes to visit him, she drops a cup and he catches it and spins it on his fingers. He's like, you know, careful, Butterfingers. That's funny. That's true. Like, yeah, that's his element. And, you know, that's true for ISFJs. Like, they're known as, like, the glue of families. Yeah. And, like, they're not necessarily just families, but, like, friends, gr- friend groups. Right. They're very loyal. They're very, like, dutiful. What would my family be without, like, my mom? You know yeah, what I mean? that's right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And, um, and but, they, but see, when people from the outside can look at them as a certain way of, like, easily taking advantage of, but there you have, there's an intense strength in people, like, who are, you know. Of course. Without them, we would, as a society, like, completely fall apart without, without people like that. Right, that's true. And he, the audience sees what his teammates take for granted that he really like nothing gets done unless he's like there helping them and yeah he's always putting in the work like when leslie wanted to run for office like he did all those like uh i don't know i just remember him licking envelopes right and that's also why um you know what you said the glue that holds everyone together and then you see that exemplified in the end of course when he becomes the mayor and not just oh my gosh, I forgot about that. And not just the mayor, the most successful and popular mayor <laughs> in the history of the city. He's reelected something like twelve times, I think. <laughs> That's right. You have such a good memory for these details. Yeah. Um, do you have anything more to say about him? Um, no. You know, I think um, it's at the end where like he has. Because him, I think they reveal at the end, him and Donna are the two longest serving members of the team. And, you know, they have like that, that one last moment before she leaves for her, you know, to work full time in real estate. That they just have like a quiet lunch together. And then he makes a little mistake and she just doesn't say anything. She just sort of chuckles lovingly, you know, at him. And, you know, she finally gets it for the first time. He's no longer invisible in that moment. Yeah, that's cool. Good observation. Okay, let's move on to Anne. Mm-hmm. What do you think of her? What was your what are your observations about her character? Anne is the ultimate codependent, and self admittedly so. Her, Did she actually say that about herself? Yeah, not in those words, but you know how every she is completely defined by whatever relationship, whether romantic or personal. Or business she's in at that time. She doesn't have an identity of her own. And... I think she grows to have one. She grows to have one in the beginning. A lot of that is because of her relationship with Leslie. Who through force of will just forces her to... You know, to, to get out and and become somebody. Become somebody? In what way? What do you mean? I don't mean like as far as success goes or anything like that. I just mean like not going... Not living somebody else's life. Got know? it, yeah. Because Leslie's very self-determined. You would never say about her that she's trying to 
she's doing something just to make somebody else happy. You mm-hmm. know, she'll make somebody else happy because she genuinely wants to, but it won't be by compromising something about herself. That's what makes her healthy, I think. I mean, even though she, I mean, everybody, even healthy people have faults, but mm-hmm. I think that that she includes herself in the needs of everyone. She includes herself in everyone is good. Yeah, Anne's always grasping for something that will make her feel complete. Even the choice to have a child, you know, is her looking like maybe this will be the thing that finally fills that that hole I have inside of myself. Yeah, and so okay, so with that in mind, I would say she's an ESFJ. Um, I've I've gone into them a little bit. They're the extroverted feelers, so they're very much about harmony. Um, and then I think in the Enneagram, she's a two. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people think she's a nine, like 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 Gary Jerry. Mm-hmm. But I think the two thing is more accurate for her because she seems like she cares very much about giving and being a good person and being seen as a good person, being loved and needed. Yeah. Um, and she's, she's very much a comforter too. Uh, that, Her role is to take care it. of other people. The it's, nurse, yeah. Yeah, she's the nurse. She's on the, like Ron literally calls her the nurse. And you see that with Leslie when Leslie burns herself out with her, you know, nervous energy. Anne's the one who's there to soothe her and calm her down. You know, same thing with, um, um, with Chris, you know, she sort of uh, smooths out all of his ang- personal anxieties. You know, she's usually the one where, where people are arguing, you know, she'll, she'll be the one that, that's kind of like in the middle trying to figure out a way to insert herself and calm things down. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I, I just think she did a great job as a, an actress. What's her name again? Um, you know her name. Rashida Jones. Yeah. Rashida Jones. Um, but yeah, as a character, I didn't always feel like she was very um, realistic, you know. Um, just who's gonna quit like a nursing job to like work in an office? But I guess if she's burnt out and tired. And yeah, well, dirt. I think that's part of it too. Is that she didn't become a nurse because she wanted to become a nurse. She became a nurse because she thought every every decision she made is if I do this, then I'll feel complete. So she went oh, through the whole thing of nursing school, hoping that would fill some gap, you know, because in the beginning she's talking about the doctors she works with and how much she respects and admires them. You know, I think she was hoping that they would give her some kind of feeling of acceptance. And then she gets offered a position, um, a managerial position in the city in, I think it's like the health district. So then she takes that over like, okay, maybe this is what I was looking for it seems to make leslie happy so maybe it'll make me happy too yeah you're right you're right she's a bit of a okay so like there's a term for that as like people pleaser mm-hmm. um and that's part of the growth is this kind of step away from worrying about what other people think and kind of get more in touch with the what you know about yourself what you've learned about yourself lessons and you know memories of learning you know remember remembering who you are right that's probably why ron finds her annoying yeah I think that there's a real, like, it's really like a tough, I don't know, it's a tough situation between people like Ron and Anne because they kind of represent like very opposite ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. She wants to like go into people's territory to help them and he wants like stay out. (laughs) He he also doesn't seem to care for her, um, how much she depends on other people. 
you know, Ron very much admires somebody who's a depend who's dependent, independent, excuse me, and can take care of themselves. And she seems to need somebody else around her at all times to provide some kind of reassurance. Yeah. And of course, there's the antagonism that April has towards her. Yeah. You know, specifically because of Andy. Right. And not just because she's his ex, but also because... Um, she's kind of all the feminine... She has all these, like, feminist qual- feminine qualities that, like, that April lacks. Yeah. I think, and, and somewhat despises. <laughs> right, and despises as well. And, and April, you know, makes remarks throughout the season about how... I, I guess what she didn't like was sort of the vapidity of their relationship, you know? And she has kind of like an idealized version of Andy as well. Um, who, who specifically? April. April. You know, that Anne took advantage of him in, in some, not took advantage. She knows what and how Andy was with her, but that, you know, Anne just sort of was just like, oh, you're just like another boyfriend along this long trail, whereas he means a great deal to her. True. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. She probably, you know, pe- th- there's also this um, conflict between people who are introverted feelers and extroverted feelers. Mm-hmm. People just think of the Myers-Briggs, you're, you have an F. Oh, I have an F too. But it's a big difference because people who are introverted feelers, especially if they're kind of immature, like I think April is a bit um, in her growth as a person, um, in some respects anyway, they they view somebody as like Anne as has just like weak and butt kissing and all these things that they... she views her a lot like a user. Like you she, think so? yeah, that she uses other people. I don't know if I get that, but I think she views her as just like pathetic in a way. You know what I mean? Like you don't have a backbone. Like you're no that that's what I mean though. She's pathetic in that she can't provide these things for herself so she uses and discards other people you know almost like trying on clothes i guess to you're see right because there's like a personal vendetta there i mean not i mean there's a personal like a uh, thing that you know there's a personal issue between them so mm-hmm. that that's probably very true yeah. okay let's move on to chris <laughs> <laughs> um i think chris is another esfp like andy but just different and also a seven like Andy, but also different. He's got a lot more anxiety. I was I almost wanted to type him as a six in the Enneagram because they're the most fearful, the most like outwardly fearful, and the most anxious. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is so scared, Chris, of staying like he thinks if he doesn't like run and be incredible incredible health, he's gonna like get cancer and die. Right. Yeah. He's literally, literally running from that fear. Yeah, he's he's terrified of darkness in all its forms. Yeah, you know, physically, mentally, even um, him and Ben's partnership begins because he's great at making introductions, and he he's a great communicator. He's very good in that aspect, and that's why he becomes city manager. Um, but he's completely uncomfortable with the actual, you know, hatchet work, which Ben specializes at. Yeah, and that's very seven of him also, like the vision, like, you know, very optimistic. He very... can't stand, like, hurting other people. Yeah, and, and he can't stand his own hurt. Right. Like, he, he said, if I don't keep running, I'm, gonna f- I'm afraid I'm going to fall into a dark pit of despair. Yeah. And that's like, there's no, no quote more 
that fits the seven better. Right. Is is like that nervous energy running from dark pain. Right. And then when someone, when I think it's Mildred Burgich breaks up with him, no one had ever broken up with him before. He was confronted with all these realities about himself and it made him so uncomfortable. He went to therapy for the first time seven <laughs> days a week. <laughs> With Dr. Richard Nygaard. He definitely has a, a manic energy. He's got a very strong six wing. And I think that, yeah, like I said, he's an ESFP. He's very physical. Because, I mean, a lot of people, again, type him as an ENFP. But he's just too, he's got way too much energy. We are way more lazy. That's that. right. And he's very focused and determined as well. Like he's going, he has absolute control over his body. You know, the calories that go in, what he eats, the amount of exercise and yeah. energy he expends. Yeah. Um that that's what's interesting about him. He's very he's he's clearly in control of like energy in general. You know, like in the situations where oh when when Leslie's um getting the hearing about misappropriating state funds. You know, he's he's very um um how can I say it? He has very strong leadership qualities. He's in command of the room. He's very clearly in charge and, and leading, you know, the, the process. So he's a very capable person. Um, but then even then, when there's a moment where, you know, he feels he might be ruining her life, like he's there that look like, please give me something I can work with. You know, I don't want to do this to you. I don't even remember that. Yeah. I he, just remember him being sick. And being horrified that he was ill and like he couldn't escape that. And he was even in the hospital, like him being trapped like that. Like he was climbing up the walls, basically. Right, because there was nothing he could do about it. He was having, that's when he looked in the mirror <laughs> determinedly with a sweaty face and commanded himself, <laughs> stop pooping. He was so used to having that command over his own body that he's just like, what is wrong with you? Stop pooping. Right. But that's how he ends up becoming more healthy in the end is sort of accepting the good with the bad. You know, that maybe good things will happen, maybe bad things will happen, but either way, I'll be okay. Like when they're trying to determine him and Anne what their child's faith will be. He wants the child to be Buddhist, you know, because that, you know, that, that philosophy of taking the good with the bad as if they're just both functions of life, you know, helps calm him because he's in the very beginning, he cannot entertain a single negative thought. He has to be happy all the time. The baseline of life is happiness. I can't believe I ever thought he was in the seven. It's funny. <laughs> all right. Okay, now... Another seven. Sheesh, I swear I'm not making this up. These are just John Ralphio. <laughs> This show just happens to have three sevens, okay? <laughs> um, at least. Jean Ralphio is my favorite. <laughs> Every time he showed up on screen, I was so happy. He was just... <laughs> it, you know, it's absurd, but it's just like... Man, what a, what a phenomenal actor that guy was. <laughs> yeah. Or they just got him like massively drunk or stoned before the episode... <laughs> No, he... Just kidding. And he improvised all of that, too. Are you kidding me? No. Oh, my gosh. I've yeah, got the outtakes. Ben Schwartz, the actor who plays him, that's actually what he 
he specializes in is improvisation. He is amazing then. He's yeah. my new hero. And he's an interesting counterpart to Tom because he's... Um, he doesn't care. <laughs> he doesn't care what other people think about him. He's He just wants to indulge in life. He wants to indulge in life and he has absolutely no shame whatsoever. That's... <laughs> The basis of his character, and, and the actor says so himself, that his character is based off, what if there was a person that had absolutely zero shame? <laughs> his sister, too, is another one. Right, and then that you see why. It's because another version of someone with no shame. Because they were raised with a, in a rich family, with a it father. Completely that, that indulged. Indulged every single, and they have zero concept of what reality is like, or accountability. And he doesn't even make his money through a regular job. He gets it through um, winning out of court settlements for being hit by cars or being experimented on for drug companies. Oh my gosh. And he makes thousands of dollars that way. Oh man. But he's just like a loud character in every aspect. The way he talks, his clothing, his hairstyle, which gets larger and larger as each season passes. Um, he's another, he's like a prime stereotype of a ESFP also. It's just like party boy, you know, right. like hooking up with whoever will have him. And, uh, have you ever heard that fan theory that, um, Steve from Stranger Things is his father? <laughs> yes, I have heard that. <laughs> Anyways, they actually showed up on some interview together and they were talking about it like together. Yeah. Yeah, there is. People took that really far too. Really? Yeah. People they, are they, weird. They sketched, as weird as me. Yeah, they sketched out this whole life for Steve and how, you know, after his dreams were crushed, he ended up. Um, he ended up just throwing in the town to saying, "Well, I guess I'll just get a regular job then and becoming a dentist and becoming really successful." <laughs> and becoming the Fonz. Becoming the Fonz. <laughs> Yeah, and then let's and then Mona Lisa. The thing with John Ralphio though is that he's not malicious. Yeah, his sister, on the other hand, <laughs> his sister is entirely malicious, and she's unhinged she's like in a different sociopathic. degree. John Ralphio is wants to his indulgence is more about just experiences in general. Hers are like you know drugs, alcohol, sex, fighting. They're all like physical stimuli. Yeah, she's and, an ESTP, and I hate to, yeah. So they've got some similarities, but... And if she doesn't get her way, she immediately resorts to violence. <laughs> An like, unhealthy one, let me point out. <laughs> right, like when, I think it's like Tom wouldn't give her a day off from work, so she tried to burn the store down, <laughs> so she wouldn't have to go to work. <laughs> I think she's just a caricature of the, like disgusting privileged spoiled rich brats that we see like on reality shows and like you know celebrity news yeah like she's that type that is there's just no accountability and there's so many people who think of like psychopathic people as like oh the you know the killer in the night who's hiding behind a dumpster but it's like though they exist in people like her too you mm -hmm. know like where there's just no remorse there's no conscience there's no empathy that's all that's required really right like when tom is terrified of breaking up with her because he thinks she might kill him <laughs> or pretend she's pregnant or something <laughs> speaking of psychopaths let's wrap this up by talking about tammy too <laughs> 
one of your other favorite characters. How can you not love her? And so she's actually the actress who plays her is actually married to the actor who plays Ron. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's why there's so much chemistry between them. Right. They just, like, they're just a force on screen together. Yeah. And you could buy how he just, like, loses his mind with this chick. Like, he's so trauma bonded to her. Yeah. You know, she's just screwed him so many different ways. <laughs> To the point where he can actually smell her pheromones when she's nearby. <laughs> because he starts to get all whacked out. Like he ends up getting cornrows. and Oh, yeah. She could do anything with him. Right. And she knows it, too. And, and that's why, you know, she's been chasing after him all these years. She cannot handle the fact that she cannot control him. That, you know... That someone rejected her. Yeah, and she just wants to, you know, when as soon as he's happy, she's like, what? She has to find some way to destroy it. Yeah, if he were, she were to see him being miserable, she'd be like, oh, jerk, loser. But then as soon as she sees, like, oh, he's got a wife, and like, let me go screw this up. Right. In fact, yeah, after he gets married, then she tries to convert Councilman Jam into a new Ron <laughs> to try... <laughs> And, it was so and sad. And completely breaks his spirit. <laughs> it, it was so it was so funny, but at the same time, he felt so bad for him. Like he like if any character, any fictional character deserved it, it was him. <laughs> but like when you, when you see him pulling his hair out of it, oh, like with that mustache and that turtleneck. That's right. She has him dressed like Ron, and then and shave his mustache and brush his hair just like him. And then there's that scene in the diner where he's talking about how he's actually really happy and is laughing and then pulls his hair out of his head and starts crying and laughing at the same time. And, and then, he looks so tired because she's probably like having sex with him all night. No, she makes him wear a chastity belt. Remember? Oh my goodness. I and then she teases that. him and she, and she, she slaps him continuously whenever, you know, she she entices him when they get to the point she she slaps him and, and like taunts him because you know he's just like a plaything to her she gets off on other people's suffering right sadist sadistic crazy nut the only person that she's terrified of is Tammy One <laughs> that's right um I don't even want to type her because she's so crazy <laughs> I don't want to insult anyone <laughs> but I already told you what she is. Like when she's she's asking Ron to reconsider, you know, getting married. Doesn't she want her back? And like, don't you miss this? And she shows a little bit of her bra. He's like, <laughs> no, I don't. And he goes, don't you miss this? And she literally starts stripping naked in a room full of people. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Or when she fights Leslie in a dumpster with no underwear on. Your favorite episode. <laughs> Oh my gosh. It's a great show. It really is. Yeah. Um what's great about it too, the only other show what that 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 has something similar as The Simpsons where they had this rich supporting cast of of supporting characters. Just like the sheer number of individual supporting characters to their like their own people is is really astounding. Um you know, you have like uh what is it the Ira and the douche, the shock jocks who are actually geniuses in real life. Really? Well, no, the douche is. The douche is a genius. Mm-hmm. And then there's um, Purd Happily, 
Oh my goodness. Local TV anchor who's actually a income poop. And then I forget the name of the local TV host, um, the functional alcoholic. Functional. Well, okay, dysfunctional. The owner of Sweetum, the widow of the Sweetums factory, the, who else is there? Oh, um, all the other councilmen, like Councilman Hauser and council, the other, the old man, um, all those, all those like town people that show up at the meetings. Oh or, my like, gosh, the town hall people. <laughs> that they're constantly outraged. They need to be outraged at something. Yeah. There's, um, oh, the NPR hosts. Oh, yeah. There's the one who's always <laughs> filling in for Terry Gross because she's on the one woman tour of the one woman play about pear shaped women. <laughs> oh my gosh, I forgot about it. This is writing gold a lot of these these people who write this stuff are just geniuses you can just hear them like cackling in the writer's room as they come up with another character okay so as i said we're gonna be doing i'm gonna be doing the office soon Mm -hmm. with luna and then you and i we should do kimmy schmidt and what else arrested development oh yeah so stay tuned people thanks for listening bye bye you want to say bye Bye. If you have any suggestions or comments, uh, go ahead and send us an email at realquacks at gmail.com. That's real with two E's. And we will talk to you later. Thanks for listening.